We are uh, opening our Bibles in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So we've been looking at the biography of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, today, we are coming to the close of Matthew 25. So if you've been with us outside, uh, we looked at Matthew 24 and the big idea being that Jesus is coming again. He is going to return and what's gonna mark his return will be an increased amount of trouble, trial, tribulation, and the church must be ready. His big message as he's on the mountain of olives with his disciples is be prepared. Be ones who are ready for my return. Be those who are spiritually alive. Don't be spiritually asleep. Live every moment as if it could be the moment that I'm returning. There's, there's been an urgency in these passages. There's been an urgency in these parables saying, don't be don't be divided, but be devoted, becoming my love in this world, showing people the great news, sharing the great news, being faithful. We saw in the two parables, be faithful to improve, to, to multiply, to, to be faithful with what I've entrusted you, the gifts, the commands, all that is yours is from me and it's for others and I'm doing this work and you're joining with me and it's gonna get hard. But he's saying, I expect my church, I expect my people to be serious about what I'm calling them to. And this has been the thrust of Matthew 25. He's saying that throughout church ages, it's going to get hard for believers. Believers are going to be the most marginalized, hated and hunted and persecuted group of people on planet earth from now on. And I'm spreading my kingdom. It's coming and it's exciting and more people are gonna come in. And he's speaking to these 12 at this time going, it's coming for you, but it's coming for everyone and you need to be prepared. So that's kind of what we've been been talking about. Have, have, have enough oil in your lamps if you were here last week. Have, be faithful. Don't bury your talents. So now Jesus is going to bring all that he's been saying. So if you missed some of that, it'd be really good for you to go back and listen. But he's going to bring all of what he's saying and he's going to apply it specifically in how he describes a group of sheep on judgment day. And so Here's what I wanna do, I wanna I want read our text so that you can at least get the whole sense of it, especially if you missed a little bit last week and then we'll, we'll dive into it. So with that kind of intro, here we go. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then, will king, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, like when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick in prison, you did not visit me. Then he will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus concludes his parables. This is hours before he is going to the cross to be the substitute for his disciples. He concludes his parables with the very thing they're anticipating is to come. That's the final reality of judgment where we learn here, all nations, every religion, every Christian, every person will have to give an account. And he's saying it really matters. It really, all that Jesus has entrusted to us matters. This is the, the thing that they're gonna feel in this moment on this mountain, that his love, his work, his message, his presence, his gifts, the gospel, being obedient to the commands, they're all gonna, all of it's gonna be shown, all of it will be known. And, and in so doing, Jesus says there will be a separation. There will be no exceptions. There will be no favoritism. There will be no excuses. It will be totally fair. No one will have on that day, just you know, a real argument that will hold up when they see the magnitude and the beauty and all true reality of the life they lived and how many times God was there and all the times that they dis- disclaimed and uh, disobeyed and, and dishonored him and just how they lived. It will all make sense and, and they'll know. They'll, they'll know he's just. And Jesus says that we will not all end up in the same place. He says, some will go to his right as the sheep, some to the left as goats. And I didn't draw our attention to this fully when we were outdoors. But as a faithful preacher who I will actually stand before Jesus one day, which I'm really excited to see his face. But I'll stand before Jesus on the things that we preach through. And I will not skip this because I love you, sure. But in Matthew 25, Jesus talks a lot about hell. And so before I pray and we get into the, what I believe is the main emphasis of this passage, I'd, I wanna begin with the heaviness of hell before we look into the kinds of sheep we're to be and become. And, and I wanna just say this, before we look at the language, uh, even if it's symbolic, a symbol is, is a lot less uh, true to reality than the actual object that it's trying to symbolize. Like if I showed you a picture, I was like, look how beautiful my wife is. But when you see her, you're like, oh my goodness, that's, that's nothing, right? Uh, but it, you, can just, you can see it. JC, um, well, let me, let me just say this first. I wanna point out one word that's repeated many times, okay? If you're in women's Bible study, this is, this is good Bible study. You find the words that repeat, okay? The word eternal really st- struck me this week. They'll be on the screen, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
Jesus as a God, he is speaking with this full understanding as he's calling them to be ready and prepared. J.C. Ryle wrote, forever is the most solemn world in the English pulpit. Any pulpit that deals only with the here and now is a shallow pulpit. It won't be temporal. Hell will last for decades and decades and decades and centuries and centuries after century. Hell is a real place. It's as real as Squamish. It's as real as Ontario. It's a real place prepared for demons and Satan himself. It's a conscious place. You will not be asleep. You will, you will not be unconscious or in limbo. You will never be more alive. You will be alive and you'll be awake and you will be alert and every experience there will happen. Just as there will be a resurrection body, so too there will be an adapted body for hell. This could be a body that will feel flames but not be able to be destructed. This will be a, a separated place. I remember when, as a kid, I remember being at the beach and being tumbled into a wave and that panic feeling, like I couldn't get out of the wave and I couldn't get up because it kept rolling me and rolling me. That will go on forever. They are removed from God's blessing And we just need to hear this. His justice is serious and he's come to rescue. Like so many who maybe reject him on this argument do so because they don't fully understand the nature of the glory of the holiness and what true love is. The greatest hope and the whole message of the Bible is that God has saved us through judgment. This is not the topic for today. So if you wanna hear about it in the uh, Elephant in the Room series, fill that out online. We're doing a whole series on some of the hottest topics going on that we wanna hear more about. But I need to say, and I need to implore with you that Jesus came, like we said in, in John three sixteen, to love the world, to rescue the world. For God so loved the world that he came to send his only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish. That's what this perishing is a perishing into judgment. But then Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world. He's not coming to throw this on us. The world has done that. He's come to save us from it. That's why he's here. And so if you're just on the skirting of belief, please pursue it harder. Please pursue Jesus even more. And if we're just you know, playing games and our neighbors have never heard us talk about Jesus because we don't wanna offend them, this is far worse. I just wanna encourage those of us who are here, when Jesus speaks of these things, they're not just symbols and metaphors. Those things point to true realities and I would not want to pass this passage without telling you, sure, church, believe on Jesus Christ. As Paul says, be reconciled today. Okay, we're doing a baptism on the 18th. We're gonna have a beach party. Yvette's getting baptized. We're so excited. Yeah. But if you're like, I've given my life to Christ in the last few weeks. I want you to join in with, with her. Come talk to us after. We need to stamp eternity on our eyeballs, as Jonathan Edwards said. 
I, I want to pray. I just want to pray right now, and then we'll, we'll get into it more. Oh, Father, I don't even know, like, how to pray these types of weights into a room like this. But I just, I know that we, some of us have real faces in mind of those who passed. And this is why we don't like verses like this. This is why I like to skip. And I just, I pray that we would not draw our theology out of, we don't like this, but we'd run into the Bible to see the God who's the most loving person, who's the most holy person, who's gonna make all things right. The thing we long for most in this life right now as believers is your return when you will renew, you will restore. And in a passage about warning, a passage about being faithful, may we feel the flame behind us. Like just help us stand there a little bit longer. We don't want to, it's uncomfortable, but I just, I pray you would help us. And I pray Holy Spirit that you would help, help me teach, help us to be tuned in to you. I pray we'd hear from the Holy Spirit this morning in a, such a profound way that we'd be totally changed. I just, I pray for transformation. I pray that lifestyles would change. I pray that sin we're toiling with would just kill it. We would, the people you've called us to become your love to, that we would be so active in that. I just, I pray for a work of your spirit. I pray this passage would breathe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for letting me bring that weight. All right, how many of you have ever heard this passage preached? Anyone hear this sermon before where, you know, you have Jesus go like, when did we see you doing this? And he was like, well, when you're to the least of these, anyone, if, I, I'm, I'm really I'm wanting an answer. If you've heard a sermon like this, okay, that's good. Because there's two huge major uh, debates in the, in the uh, scholar world, so to say, of what's going on. There's two major interpretations that I would say are equal in answering uh, who are we talking about when we say the least of these, my brothers and sisters, we need to, at least if we're gonna see Jesus pull all of what he says and apply it, we wanna know specifically who does he have in mind here? Who were the least of these that, that had no idea when they were doing, uh, when they were becoming Jesus's love and they were just serving him wholeheartedly, that they were really doing it to Jesus. Who are these group of people? Well, here's the two, uh, the two people groups that we're gonna look at. I'm gonna show you the biblical arguments for both. I'm gonna tell you where I land and then we're gonna keep going, okay? So here we go. The first group of scholars land that they're saying that the least of these refers to specifically the scattered church. These are disciples who are carrying the message. These are believers who've been uh, thrusted into poverty, into rejection as that happened very quickly in the first century. They lost everything. They lost jobs. They were put in prison. They were put in the gladiator domes. If you associated with another Christian in that time, as it's like today in places like Somalia and Afghanistan, you would lose your job. You would lose everything. And if you tried to help someone in prison and you were associated with them, especially in real places like North Korea, you're killed. You're kicked out of your family. You lose everything. So this is an intense persecution. Just, you know, Christians are the most rejected people group on planet earth today and throughout history. They are the least of humanity. 
in the eyes of the world. And Jesus knows this is coming for his church. And so that's one view that this is the, the itinerary pastors and apostles and, and people who have no status, who are, who are in the world's eyes the least. Or the other view held by great scholars would say, no, this is all suffering humanity. This is the vulnerable. This is every poor person that Jesus came to identify himself with. And so let me, just, let me quickly just say, and I shared a little bit already, but there's great biblical argument for both. There just is, there is. So for the first, which I've kind of alluded to already, uh, grammatically, if we just take like a Bible study method, which is how we should study the scriptures, um, we look at where words are used and how they're used in different contexts. And every time this word is used, brothers or sisters, it's always referring to uh, family or it's always referring to specifically the disciples. Like there's even a time where, where uh, you know, some of the people in the crowd are like, hey, Jesus, your own biological parents and brother are here. Your mom, I mean, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus is like, those who are truly my family are those who obey me and do the will of God, my disciples, right? If you go to, this will be on the screen, if you go to places like uh, Matthew 10, Jesus actually tells, uh, after he sends his disciples out, saying, don't carry anything, rely on people providing for the needs so you can continue in ministry. He says this, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. You can see similar language in the gospel of Matthew for what we're reading. And then he says this, whoever gives one of these little ones, like the least of these, these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So again, if you imagine, put yourself in places today Put your places in war-torn countries in Africa and Uganda and different places like, like I mentioned, Afghanistan, Indonesia, where if your brother or sister who's heard of a missionary coming in and is bringing in Bibles, who's coming to share God's love, if you invite that missionary in, you could lose it all. Like imagine, imagine trying to visit a prisoner right now. Like imagine if in Canada, the next 10 years, it's really hard to be a Christian and pastors are in prison for saying things that the Bible says. And you go and visit a pastor, your friends at work, they're like, you're, you're serious? You went and visited that guy? It's a huge risk. So it seems to be saying, Jesus says the goats are those who were too embarrassed, they were too lazy, they were too cowardly to support fellow Christians who depend on our assistance and suffer for the sake of the gospel. That's a strong argument. I, I really see, especially as he's sitting there with this group of people, that's strong. Okay, now, second point, uh, second interpretation is also strong because it's in line with much of Jesus' teaching about who is our neighbor. Right, if you were with us a few weeks ago where Jordan taught on like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself and the good Samaritan, I mean, Jesus, he teaches this is how we're to live. We, we love everybody always. We, you know, you look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you know, it's easy to love those who love you, but like love your enemies. I mean, every passage, including some of the most theologically rich ones said, he who, be, who he was rich became poor. Like Jesus identifies with the poor, the broken, the vulnerable. He's come 
to help. The whole point of one of the messianic prophecies was that Jesus was gonna come to heal the sick, that he was gonna give sight to the blind, that he was gonna set captives free. And so we have all of this. So this is what, this, I'm just I'm telling you how it's all landing here. Um, the other strong argument I really find on this view is that the sheep are surprised. Like if, if they knew they were doing it for missionaries, they would know. But they seem to be surprised because missionaries are, you know, Jesus is in this person. They seem to be surprised when, when Jesus says, you did this to me, which simply I think shows when they were just loving everybody in need, even followers of Jesus, it wasn't always clear who they were loving. They were just loving people because that's what Jesus in them does. They were just loving everybody. We're called to show hospitality to the stranger. James says true religion is this, loving the orphan and the widow, regardless of status, regardless of economic, racial, all of that. Okay, so which is it? Here's, I'll tell you what I think. I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I do. I, I would say, however, the context to me on this one leans more towards the first, that Jesus does have the church and how we're to love as the main emphasis. However, I would say it's yes and beyond with a trajectory of application to the least of who Jesus identified with most. I think it's okay to see both because the Bible teaches both really clear. So with this lens, I'm gonna begin with the first, but I have the second in mind. I want, I want us to really look at what I think is more of the emphasis in this passage, and that's on the nature of these sheep and who they're becoming and what marks these sheep that does this mark the shore church. Okay, I, I wanna begin with this quote before I actually read another verse. I had it in my intro, so sterling. Back to the first slide we had. Um, Fr Francis Chan in his book, Letters to the Churches, says, there's a simple exercise that I walk through with church leaders. First, I have them list all the things that people expect from their church. They usually list obvious things like, like a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style slash volume slash length of singing, a well-communicated sermon, conveniences such as parking, a clean church building, you know, good coffee, childcare, etc. Then I have them list commands God gave the church in scripture. Usually they mention commands like love one another as I have loved you and, and visit orphans and widows in their affliction and make disciples of all nations, bear one another's burdens. I then ask them, what would upset their people more? If the church didn't provide things from the first list or if the church didn't obey commands in the second list? So let's flush these kinds of sheep out a bit. Uh, verse 34, second part. Look, look with me again at this whole thing. Jesus says to the sheep, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick 
and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer them, saying, Lord, like when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So they want to know when, 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 right? I mean, the surprise, just think about the surprise aspect. The surprise of the sheep comes when the king and giving them their eternal inheritance. This is the most exciting thing that the Bible tells us we have, like in places like Ephesians, when they're getting the joy of their inheritance, they're surprised at how much he says you did for me because they're thinking, well, as he's saying that, like I'm thinking about my life and how I lived it, but I don't remember seeing you in, in, in all those ways. When did we see you in this condition? And let me just point out, this is what marks those on the right. They, in becoming love, and selflessly sacrificing for the poor, the lowest people, the rejected, the homeless, those who are oppressed, and they were just doing that. They're not seeing the hungry, the naked, the oppressed, the persecuted, the thirsty as, you know what, Here, this one's for you, God. Yes, yeah, cha-ching, like heaven tickets. They're, they're not. They're not, they're not thinking this one's for you. They're just calling that Tuesday. Like notice, it's just who they are. In the heart, of the mi- in the heart and mind of these sheep is not a mindset, mindset of, hey, let's do nice things for Jesus so that we'll get a bunch of approval awards, you know, trade in later. Yes, I'm saying it's for his glory, but for these sheep, every act of selfless love, hear me on this, is a declaration of their faith. Like their faith is just living itself out. It's evidence. They've come to see love as its own reward simply because it pleases God. They're they're just so busy engaging in what God's doing in the world. It doesn't really matter to them anymore, okay? If you're like, I'm not sure what you're trying to get at. Let me say it this way. I'm gonna tweak this analogy I heard. Um, Imagine if I kept track of all the times I mentioned Nikki, my wife, okay? She never knows when I'm gonna use her, I'm so sorry. Um, or let's, you know, let's say I kept track of all the times I mentioned her name or did something nice to her in a day. And you know, the way some people will keep track of how much they talked about Jesus or you know, what they did and how they loved the poor, okay? Nikki would think that's weird, she would. She already thinks I'm weird, but that would even make it worse, okay? Like, just, I, I can't imagine coming home and saying, hey, babe, babe, come here. I mentioned your name like four times today, okay? Once at the gym, that was a good one. That was good. Real cool moment there, because it's, you know, obvious. The other time, uh, you know, I was walking by someone at the bus, and I just mentioned your name to them and how great you are. And then there was one time they didn't even know you. I was on the street corner and I just, I mentioned your name like three times. She would probably be like, what? You, you're, you're actually keeping track of how many times you mentioned my name? Yeah, because that's how good our marriage is. She'd be like, that's not a good marriage. That's just, that's an evidence of something messed up. Yes. Jesus is saying, 
the way you thought about, cared for, embraced, showed great love to the poor, the hungry, how you cared for the disciples, the believers who were neglected and rejected, the wander, it was evidence you loved me. It was just evidence you're really about seeing my heavenly realm showing up in the everyday stuff of your life. Let me put it this way, justice is going to be a grand symptom of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Like Jesus has already told his disciples or is about to tell his disciples, I'm leaving and I'm sending the helper. You're gonna be able to do far more. And the new heart with new desires is gonna be a new heart that's gonna love who Jesus loves. You're gonna love who Jesus loves with Jesus' love. It's gonna be a great symptom of a real relationship with God and it will be there. Let me say it this way, deep social concern and a life poured out in deeds of service, especially to those within the church and to those on Jesus' mission and to those who are, who are poor, those who are hurting, those who are vulnerable, those who are neglected, those who, all of what we've been saying is the real index of the condition of your heart that we are to be marked by pouring ourselves out in generous service without a thought of reward, simply because the needs of the people we meet. Again, these sheep, they were just marked by a readiness to love all those around them with his love. Let me say that again. These sheep are marked by a readiness to love God and love others. They're marked by a readiness to be on Jesus's mission, it's kingdom come. They are marked by a readiness to just love all those around him with his love. Let me ask you this, does this mark you? Are we marked by that? Loving people we don't understand or agree with or the poorest or really needy people or or how hard it could be to get a, a, a care package sent over to a town in in, in Iran, how, how all of these things it takes to love. It, it, it takes a lot of self-forgetfulness, a lot of self-sacrifice, a lot of intentionality, a lot of resource. But this is the kind of beautiful, counterintuitive, risky stuff that these sheep who are becoming Jesus' love to others do. This is what they do. Like, have you ever met that person? They just, everything is God's. Everything is theirs. They just want to give it all away. Jesus... He went to the cross, not because he saw something in us that merited love. He did it despite what we could bring. He did it because he's love. He did it to bring us in because that's what love does. Love's a lot like that. And I do want to say this. I was thinking about the application of this passage a lot. Um, And I started to become really proud of you. I, I did. I was like, I was preparing this sermon and sometimes when God's really convicting a preacher and like just really like feels like he's just slaying me with conviction on a lot of these areas in my life because I'm so selfish, you can pray for me. But um, the danger is then we throw that on you. Like I'm like, well, if I'm not doing anything, then neither are they. And then we just, you walk out with this huge guilt, like do better. <laughs> Anyways, um, but I was thinking about you and I was saying, hey, remember Neil and Wendy, they started a whole uh, orphanage and school in Uganda. I think of like Judy and Maggie, wherever you're sitting, who just went on these short-term mission trips to become his love and, and send out Bibles and help kids get food. 
And then I think of those who've given houses to pastors. I've, those who have literally given cars to staff. Those who, your giving last year was incredible, by the way. Like it just was, you gave. Like I know, you know, people tell me, I don't look all the time. People tell me, hey, did you know like this big amount just came in randomly or like this person? And I'm like, that's incredible. Cause I know maybe you got a bonus at work and you just gave that all to the work of making disciples on the North Shore. I'm just so excited about you. And I just, I wanna commend you. Like I, I want you to feel like you're doing the kingdom of God. But some of you who I just mentioned and like you could probably all have things going on in your mind right now, you weren't doing it for that. You were doing it because you were becoming his love. You were living out this Matthew 25 and I'm really proud of you, okay? I'm proud of you. I wish I could, my round of applause would be, there you go, switch it. Um, yeah, I mean, from the salvation, some of you are working at Salvation Army and helping the addicted and the lost in schools. I just, I, I look at, if I looked at all your faces and just saw what God was doing in you, I'm just really proud of you. But here's the question I'm asking, and this is where I, I've been getting slayed a little. Are we developing disciples on the North Shore who imitate Christ by constantly serving others? Are we developing communities that are so deeply in love with one another that the world marvels? Like how are they looking into the life of this church? Are we loving one another with such sacrifice and love and self-forgetfulness and resource? Do we even know the needs in this room? Like, I don't think we would unless you're in a community, which I think is where a lot of this will, will flush itself out. But so I'm thinking about that, okay? And then I think this, this is for our staff that we're just, we're gonna start praying about this Tuesday. Are we just good at getting people together once a week and maybe into a small group? Or are we good at actually producing the types of people we read about in the New Testament? Like, are we good about producing the types of people that we read about? So I'm proud of you and I'm thinking about this stuff. And then this passage came to my heart, so I grabbed it. But uh, I don't even know where I am in my notes here. First Thessalonians four. He says, finally then brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing. Love that. Just as you are doing that you do so more and more. That you do so more and more. So, I mean, some of the things I'm just, I'm praying through and thinking about is like, like what would it look like? Okay, don't be afraid right now. I'm just, I'm thinking out loud with you. What would it look like if, you know, on a Sunday after a shorter message, we asked the Holy Spirit, like we said to you, you know, I think we're gonna sing three songs. We have that plan, but we wanna know from the Holy Spirit if, if there's anyone in this room right now who knows someone in need or who's going through a really difficult time would you be willing to be super brave and come up here and share that? Because we want to do something about that. We want to pray. Like, what would it look like if we just started taking care of the needs of one another within this body? Like, what? I, I don't know, because I remember we started doing the spiritual gifts, and we would just take mornings, and we would just pray for healing. And, and God did some profound things. So I'm just thinking, like, what would it look like? Like, the other thought I had on Thursday, but you don't be, don't be worried, but I said, I thought, like, what if we, you know, didn't move on to the next passage until we've, we were like, I think we're obeying this. 
Like, what would it look like if we were like, are we obeying Matthew 25? And so what if like, you know, next Sunday, we just all come in like, for a whole hour, we're just gonna pray and ask the Lord, what does this look like for the shore to do this in our city with one another? And we just took that whiteboard. Okay, now you're getting really nervous because it's there. Um, and, and like, we just wrote down these things and we just prayed and maybe we sang a song or maybe I brought a devotional and, and I know what some of you are thinking, well, yeah, that's probably better for small groups. Let's keep to why we gathered in the temple. And I'm just telling you what I'm wrestling with, all right? But my heart is, are we producing the types of people we read about? Like, what if we were a church that knew, actually, we all knew what we were doing for the least of these, and we joined together? And it's gonna look different for each church. Like what, what if we were a church that we just started loving each other more in this room? We're like, after the gathering, you were like, I don't even know you. And we've been coming here for like three years. And like, would you wanna come over? What if you decided with your spouse or your roommates, I'm gonna invite three people over this month. And you just did that. And we just created this culture where we just knew each other. What if we begin with this goal. So here's the question I have for you. What fires you up when it comes to justice? Like what fires you up? What gets you excited? Where is God already at work in your life? I'm, I actually don't even know some of it. But here's what I want you to do, okay? We are going to eventually close this sermon and we are gonna sing and we're gonna take communion. But in our response time, if there is a people group, if there is a need that Jesus has been just putting on your heart, if there's a place, if there's something, if there's even a local racial reconciliation you want to see happen in a specific part of the North Shore, and it's just burdened you, I just want you to write it down. I'm not promising anything. I don't know if we'll do anything. We will pray, but I wanna know what's the spirit saying in Matthew 25, what does that look like? So if there's something on that or burning your heart, I just want you to put it down. And all my promises is that we'll pray for it. One of the things I've talked to our elders about is we're, we're calling up our, our great friends over at the MB Mission and saying, hey, pitch us three church planning movements that are happening globally and where we, the Shore Church, feel we'll start praying as elders, where we can get involved. We just wanna do something. Right, like the disciples are not like, oh, that was a good Bible study. I wonder what he's gonna say next week. Let's do nothing. This, like, they, that's just not how they lived. Okay, all right. Now I'm doing the whole pastor thing. You're like, okay, he's doing it. He said he wasn't gonna do it. Um, I don't even know where we are. Okay. Let me draw our attention to one more verse and then we'll close. Verse 34, okay, verse 34. The king says to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit, receive the inheritance that you've been promised before the foundation of the world. That is the gospel. I need to say this, the sheep are those who've received the blessing of the father. The sheep are those who are blessed with an inheritance that occurred before the foundation of the world, one prepared. 
And if all of a sudden your Bible goes into the gospels where Jesus says things like, I have, I have a prepared a place for you. What you need to hear is that he initiates. This group of sheep, and I can't say this enough, like you didn't save you, right? Like God saved you. You weren't looking for Jesus. God came and he found you. It's by grace that we're saved. Those who are sheep are those who've been rescued by Christ in the gospel. I say all that because we don't begin with white knuckle, let's, you know, let's write some stuff down. Let's take the world. <laughs> this kind of like self-confident, we need to, you know, let's just love for love's sake and let's just do justice and mercy. And we need to begin with abiding in the love of Jesus. Like it begins with him. These sheep are saturated in the love of Jesus. They're oozing Jesus's love. They're not just in love with love. And don't miss this because here's the thing I need to say. I've seen many people derive their identity and their goodness based on how much they care about particular issues when in fact our identity is hidden in the person and work of Christ and what he's done on our behalf. That's the starting point. All of any action towards the poor, all of anything must flow from that identity, from that love. If our activism is self or issue driven, then we will fall into the same camp where we will only chase after the issues, but not after the hearts of people. The issues are important because in those issues are the hearts of people and our message is bringing the gospel to real people. And how we bring that with the way Jesus has brought his love to us makes a difference. But do you see people to love? And I say this because I'm sure there are some like me, when you read passages like this, you spiral, okay? You spiral, you like, how do we do this in order to start? Um, Right? Have you ever had the experience with that you're, whether you're like, you know, scrolling through a news feed or on Instagram and, and you just see all these great organizations who are like, you know, adopting every human being and then you're like, how is this happening? And, but you're so excited. There's so many good things out there. You just have all this awareness. There's all of a sudden you get, you're reading the news now on Apple News. It's like famines and another earthquake hit. And then you go, oh my goodness, like, where do I start, right? You know, someone's like, dad, I missed the toilet. And you're like, okay, it's fine. And then you got like, then you're like, you know, I just, you were thinking because you drove downtown through the east side and you were thankful for lots of things, but you were like, do I just pull over right now? I don't even know what to do. And then we have, and even in our own backyard harvest project, like you're at Whole Foods buying your whole paycheck and you're like, should I donate a can? I'm all, you know, like that, it just starts spiraling. And, and, and then, and then did you, do you know that every year, 11 million people die before their fifth birthday from hunger and famine and all, one in 18 children live in poverty. And then you read that and you're like, oh my goodness. And then we look at what's taking place with racial injustice and refugees below us, which needs our attention. It is not at all, as Jesus says, true sheep are to be. And it all comes down. And then you're like, James just told me I'm not even loving my own people. Like, whoa, this, I gotta love the church and I gotta find out missionaries who are suffering for the gospel. And, 
And they're like, ah, how, how do I love the people in my own life? They're so draining and hard to get along with. And then we have my own hardships and setbacks and I have to fold this laundry before my husband. It's just, and it keeps piling up. How many of you are like, what? Yes, that's what Matthew 25 does in me. And so you, you, you spin. What do we do with that? <laughs> I don't know. That's what we're going to pray about. But um, I will say this. We begin with what God's put on your heart. And I do think it begins with an attitude and a heart every day that says, whoever you put in front of me to love, I'm going to become your love. But listen, sure, if you're not abiding in his love, you will not see what he sees. You will not break for what he breaks. And I would just encourage you to ask him to be the most loving person in your life. What if you made that your resolve? I'm gonna be the most Christ-like loving person on planet earth. That's what Jonathan Edwards resolved. What if you did that? What would it look like to love those in front of you? I do think one of the answers the Bible gives us is Hebrews 10, 24. Sorry, this is our last verse. I kind of rambled a lot. Uh, he says, let us consider. This is what we're going to do. That word means uh, give careful thought. How to stir up one another to, what's our word? Love. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting. There's really great important things that what we do on a Sunday gathering that we will not see leave. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So what if you decided every Sunday morning, Holy Spirit, will you show me my spiritual gifts so I can encourage one another? Like, I wanna encourage one person. What if you woke up every day and were like, I'm gonna encourage one person. I just wanna be loved. I wanna... That's not gonna come by white knuckled choice, it's gonna come from a life that loves Jesus.